The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the season premiere of season four of Lower Decks called Tuvix. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Wait, where's Father Corey? Is he mysteriously disappeared? <laughs> yeah, he, actually, he and I have been merged into <laughs> other Dory. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you'd put on some weight, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> We are just, just kidding. <laughs> so uh, before we get to the show, I want to just mention that we do have uh, quite a bit of listener feedback. We've saved up the, from uh, the end of the season of Strange New World. So be sure to stick around for that. And I want to mention that you can get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt by, and other merch by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. And I actually saw a listener uh, in our Discord sharing photos of themselves in Spain. Uh, and going to mass at the cathedral in Madrid and other places in Madrid, wearing our Secrets of Star Trek shirt. So I mm. thought that was a lot of fun. F- folks, please share where you you know, picture yourself in v- various places with it. It's awesome. That actually fits in with what I've lately been doing at the Sign of Peace. Instead of waving to people, I've been doing the Vulcan salute. <laughs> That's awesome. I may start doing that myself. And then uh, I just want to encourage folks to check out another StarQuest Network show that you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Stargate. It is so much fun. You definitely have to listen to that. Uh, you can find and watch it because it's also on our YouTube uh, channel as a video. And you can find that. Also, wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. So we are talking about two Vicks. And as usual, Jimmy, could you give us a recap of what happens? Yeah. First of all, we should mention that this is not spelt the same as the two Vicks episode of Voyager. That was T-U-V-I-X, a merger of Tuvok and Neelix. This is T-W-O-V-I-X. So expect similar shenanigans. <laughs> this week, the Cerritos is assigned to transport the newly restored Voyager back to Earth where it can be used as a historical museum display. But a series of Voyager-themed disasters begin to happen. First, a flower petal from the orchid that was involved in the merger of Tuvok and Neelix causes a transporter malfunction that merges Dr. Ta'ana and Chief Engineer Billups into a new being named Te'illups. Second, a dormant macrovirus is discovered on Voyager and it escapes and starts replicating. Third, the macroviruses accidentally activate the new shipwide hollow emitters and release copies of multiple holodeck characters from Voyager. And fourth, the macroviruses start to merge with Borg technology from Seven of Nine's Borg regeneration chambers. Captain Freeman looks up Captain Janeway's solution to the Tuvix problem and discovers that Janeway straight up murdered Tuvix, even though he begged her to let him live, a fact this episode is remarkably frank about. Unfortunately, Teillips also looks up Janeway's solution, and Teillips doesn't want to be murdered, so he decides to create allies and begins using the transporters to merge all of the Cerritos crew into two-person figures to create a Tuvix-like army. New Vulcan lower decker, Talin, tries to fix the situation by transporting all the merged people into the brig. 
but they all end up merged into one gigantic Tuvixi meatball. And now that they're a giant, not non-sentient blob of meat, this seems to remove the ethical considerations about separating them into individual beings again, and Tendi helps Talin split them apart. Meanwhile, on the Voyager, the ship has been completely taken over by the Borgified macrophages and holograms, except for Boimler. So Boimler frees Rutherford, and together they free the ship. To distract a Chaotica program, Boimler pretends to be the son of Tom Paris's character, Captain Proton. And that lets Rutherford infect the Voyager systems with Neelix's stinky cheese, disabling the Borg implants in the macroviruses and the holodeck creations. With everything now fixed, all of our lower deckers are promoted by one rank, except for Rutherford, who technically broke Voyager and says he shouldn't be promoted since engineers fix things rather than break them. Mariner is unhappy with her promotion, but she comes to look on it positively as at least they're still the least important middle-rank officers and thus still lower deckers. They end the episode by chanting, Lower decks! Lower decks! And noting that there should be no mysterious threats blocking their paths. So we cut away to Klingon space and see a Klingon lower deck ship from season two being destroyed by a new mysterious threat. The end. Your overall impression of this uh, episode? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was nice to uh, have a deep dive into Voyager. Thus far on lower decks, we have ba- we've had, you know, significant, we've mostly focused on the next generation. And there have been little allusions to Voyager or Deep Space Nine and maybe even Enterprise, but but it's primarily been TNG focused and with some TOS focus as well. Um, so it was nice to have a, a, a Voyager centric episode for once that just called back all kinds of shenanigans from Voyager's history. Lots of deep cuts. I mean, we and even in stuff that never got mentions on screen is in the background. And it's just yeah, it is. It's sort of um, a love letter to Voyager that acknowledges all of its many of its flaws. I didn't even yeah. get into some of the flaws. Yeah. Uh, I, I was waiting for a few that never showed up. But uh, yeah. Yeah. But they even had things like robotic. Since it's a museum, they had animatronic versions of the newts that Janeway and Paris turned into and then mated in yes. new form, which was that's one of the dumbest things ever. And not just Voyager history, but Star Trek history. Lowest <laughs> point of Voyager, I think, occurred at that yeah. episode. <laughs> and uh, and so they had a couple of they had a pair of animatronic newts. Um, <laughs> they got borgified. <laughs> they got borgified. And they didn't even talk about them on screen. They just they're just there. Right. Um so there was a lot of lot of stuff. I really appreciated how frank this was about what Janeway did to Voyager, because as soon as Captain Freeman says, I'm going to have to look up Janeway's solution. Mariner, where her mom can't hear, says, oh, wow. I mean, Janeway straight up murdered Tuvix. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yep. And then when when Captain Freeman looks up Janeway's solution, it's like, I can't do this. She straight up murdered Tuvix, even though he was begging her to let him live. <laughs> this is yep. a huge con- controversy among fans. I mean, this is this is a big thing among fans. It's like 
Jadeway the murderer. She, she's. She, I'm surprised she's not in jail. <laughs> uh, she she obviously is a murderer. I don't think there's any any reasonable way to get around that. One of the things they do to kind of throw a a fig leaf on Janeway's solution is they do point out that she was in the middle of the Delta Quadrant, and they point out that they're not in the middle of the Delta Quadrant, so they can just go to Earth and try to figure out a solution. Right. But right. That. But the solution. There is no solution here. You either murder Tuvix or you let him keep living. Right. You can't go into Earth is not going to change that calculus. And let's be honest, the the final solution of this episode was kind of a a wink and a nod, a workaround. It's not really like it's it's not really if you really had merged all of these people into one giant non-functional blob of meat. That doesn't mean that they're that you can just pull them apart. Um, it's more complicated than that. Right. But at least they changed the scenario enough that it sounds surface level plausible that that the same ethical considerations might not apply. Of course, if you really want to get down to it, the the transported murders everyone every time they step into it anyway. So depending on your <laughs> transporter theory, there are, there are episodes that point the other way, like you, like the one where uh, Barkley is conscious through the transport and sees things happening in the transport. And that would oh, indicate yeah. that human consciousness is continuous throughout the transporter process. And your consciousness is still somehow associated with your, with your atoms. And in that case, you wouldn't really be dead. You'd just be transformed during the transport process. Right. Right. So, um, let's get into some of the, the specifics of this one. Uh, we start with the, this whole question of the, uh, promotion and that's a big deal for this episode because Mm -hmm. this is a show about lower decks they they are the bottom of the of the rankings here on the crew of the at least among officers and you know to change that might change now obviously they at the end they say we're still kind of lower decks but Mm -hmm. uh the the idea of in the fourth starting the fourth season with this idea of promotion that's kind of interesting idea yeah. And if, you know, it, it, so this is basically halfway in terms of seasons through what you would normally expect, you know, the during the classic era in the 90, in the 80s and 90s, the shows ran for seven seasons. That was the goal. And so if you say, OK, we're going to keep them as ensigns for the first three seasons, at the beginning of season four, we're going to promote them all to lieutenant junior grades. We can move them up to full lieutenants or something, maybe at, at the end of the final season, season seven. And uh, and that'll be a nice outnote for them. They all mm. get promoted. They're no longer lower decks in the season and the series ends. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like Discovery when they were promoting it. It was like, oh, the all the Star Trek shows always focus so much on the captains well we're going to have a show focused on not the captain and then by the end of season two she's the captain <laughs> she's the captain like uh well i guess we we all decided that wasn't working so um i i like the idea of kind of letting them move up i mean it's better than what mm-hmm. harry kim got uh so <laughs> oh it's better than what the entire original series crew got they were locked in their ranks for seven seasons with no promotion uh, presumably, although we only saw three on-screen seasons of the oh, original. Well, true, three yeah. seasons. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, For the that's, whole show. Yeah. The uh, 
so <laughs> the funny thing is, is of course the the humor is it. Um, Ransom tells Boimler, "You're you're locked in for this promotion. It is yours unless you have a screw up of historic proportions." And poor Boimler knows that's exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be some mm-hmm. sort of historic proportions of of, uh, of 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 a mess up going on in in this episode. Uh, so you know, oh well, and. Yeah. uh he does his first job is a holodeck waste removal. He gets like a, the, you know, the really, I'm thinking what, what waste is being removed from a holodeck that is that, that bad, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Well, you know, I mean, even automobiles have waste, you <laughs> know, true. and so holodeck machinery presumably would too. Uh, apparently, apparently, and it's apparently a, a really terrible job. Uh, I, I just, I love the way that the lower decks kind of, twists things a bit and like makes these funny like weird it's the sort of thing again as we've said about lower decks all along it's the sort of thing with trek fans we sit down on a friday night over a beer and we kind of talk about you know the weirdness like what if you know or how do you think that works and and it's that's what it feels like that writing room on lower decks is like it's so much fun they did something like this on deep space nine Back in back in the day where the the writers decided that, like, the worst job on Deep Space Nine was working in waste extraction Mm -hmm. and just that word extraction, you know, it 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 it. Okay, that sounds painful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, well, well, I mean, if you start anything with waste, you just know it's going to be a terrible job. <laughs> yeah, but extraction sounds much worse than removal. Right, right. So they, the Cerritos has been given another, you know, California class job. And this one is to basically just to escort Voyager to the Starfleet Museum on, well, first to Earth, where it's going to be landed at Starfleet headquarters and being exhibited well. Because it can land. Because it can land, as we uh, uh, see so many times in Voyager. And then we'll eventually go to the Starfleet Museum, where we will see it in Picard Season 3, <laughs> which is which is a nice connection there. Um, so seeing Voyager, hearing the theme song, it was a lot of fun just to, like, to kind of get that surprise. I didn't know anything going into this episode, except... It was called Tuvix, so I had a sense of it was going to be a connection of Voyager, but I didn't think we'd actually see the ship, so that was kind of fun to see. Or get this much Voyager. Yes. And, you know, seeing the whole ship in animation with all with mannequins of the whole Voyager crew, that was a lot of fun, you know, because it's a museum, so they're going to have displays. And so, uh, you know, they have mannequins of each of the crew members. Uh, and while they're... Uh, on board, they're talking. You know, they're they're talking the tales of Voyager, and I forget who brings it up, but the says <laughs> the ship got damaged by cheese. It's Voyager. Stuff got freaky. <laughs> yeah, that is a funny th- concept. Is that cheese knocked the, the ship? You know, uh, uh, for a loop. I mean, they really were endangered by the cheese on board. Well, they had to figure out something they could do with their bioneural gel packs. <laughs> right, right. So they had to get the flu from the cheese. Was that the flu that it got the, from the cheese or was it? Well, it was they, the, 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 cheese, the cheese culture infected the bioneural gel packs, as I recall. That's right. That's right. So, um, so yeah, that was, that, there was some nice, funny, you know, little moments as they remembered that uh, going in. And then... Um, and then we have the transporter accident. So what happens is Tendi and Talana or Talin, not, I'm trying Talin. To keep all these T names, Talin are 
moving stuff off of Voyager or, it, you know, including this container with the, the plant. Orchid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the this leaf flies off and, you know, the petal Total. flies off and goes, you know, ends up in the ventilation ducts and causes this combination of uh, Darta, Ta'ana and Billups. And Ta'ilips uh, is an interesting combination mm-hmm. <laughs> it is especially because they're not i mean they're not the same species of course neelix and tuvok weren't but they're also not the same sex and so and they play with that a little bit where because Shax is is uh ta'ana's boyfriend and at one point Shax asked to ellipse do you have just how much of dr ta'ana's memories do you have and <laughs> To Ellipse's eyes get really huge and we cut away. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, li- I like, though, some of the character humor in this. Uh, like, so Billups is a, like recalibrating the transporter as the pedal gets mixed, mixed up in things. So I guess the transporter was in a vulnerable state since it was being recalibrated. Um, but uh, just before that, um, Billups has been telling Ta'ana about a pet that he used to have on his D&D fantasy homeworld. And and Dr. Ta'ana being grumpy as normal is like, why do sick people always tell me about their pets? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's probably a reason for that, Dr. Ta'ana. (laughs) Because you're a cat and you remind people of their pet. (laughs) There's there's also a nice bit where on Voyager where the macro virus gets around um, Boimler, who has been posted at the door to keep it from getting off the bridge and it gets it gets past him and ransom the human first, you know, first officer looks at at Boimler and says, Shaka, when the walls fell and <laughs> Kason, the 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 children of Dama or whatever he is, security guy, looks at at Ransom and says, so, Kath, his eyes uncovered. And and Ransom says, I try to pay attention and they do a fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, I, I noticed that, too. That was a really good moment. Uh, by the way, the macroviruses, the Taktakian macroviruses, uh, they were from two episodes of Voyager from the yes. first one's macrocosm. And then again, showed up in another one called shattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's been behind this panel for eight years before Rutherford lets it out. Uh, it's, it's hard to to say that he's, he's responsible. I mean, he's just, you know, it, it was there. Yeah. Well, he doesn't, they don't really blame him for that because nobody knew it was there. Not even the caretaker who had re who had refurbished the ship knew it was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's because of his solution. Yeah. At at the end when he says, Oh, it's okay that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get promoted because I'm an engineer and I technically broke Voyager and engineers fix things rather than break them. What he's referring to there is his use of the stinky cheese. To yeah. to break the holodeck and Borg systems, and um and and that's just a that's just a little it's just a little writing trick, right? Um, because that's stupid. You did what <laughs> needed to be done. You should get promoted for that. This that's I'm right. an engineer. That's just that's rationalization of we're not going to promote him yet, so we can devote next episode to how he gets promoted. That's true. That's true. 
the, as the scene on the bridge ends, as they're heading out for, you know, Mariner is passing by uh, Boimler, who's complaining like, oh, this is the thing that's going to prevent me from getting my promotion. And Mariner kind of says to him, you know, in a low voice and an aside, this is nothing compared to that Pike thing we aren't supposed to talk about, which is yeah. a nice throwback to Strange New Worlds, this, those yep. old scientists episode. So that was good. That was a, a nice reference. Oh, and another thing that is interesting about this is the, the the episode has a sly commentary on how they tended to wrap up plots on Voyager. Mm-hmm. Um, I Now, the thing that stands out the most to me about Voyager is we just got climax after climax of characters standing over consoles talking dramatically. Mm-hmm. And and that was just the solution to I don't know how many episodes. So that's really what stood out to me. But um, something else seems to have struck the writers of this episode, because at the end, when Boimler and Rutherford are talking about how they're going to solve the problem, Rutherford says, well, it feels like a kooky Voyager solution, so it's worth a try. Because <laughs> right. they had some real kooky solutions to problems. Uh now, speaking of other uh, Voyager deep cuts, the macrovirus, you know, messes with the uh, computer panel outside the holodeck, which initiates holodeck programs, Chaotica, Clown and Michael Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, Clown is a deep cut. That was that's yeah. a, this, that scary that's clown. The, the clown episode, I forget the name of the episode it came from, but it was the, the clown character was played by Michael, Michael Keane. Is yes. one of the Spinal Tap guys, yep. and he represents fear. And they they come to this world where there are it's there there's sort of a holodeck program running on the world, and Harry Kim and Belana Torres beam into it, and there's they find this this cast of computer generated characters, kind of like a carnival um, with a a clown. And it's a suitably alien clown. You know, it doesn't look like Ronald McDonald. Um, But uh, with this clown character who represents fear, um, lording it over the whole community and decapitating people when when they get on his bad side and if you get decapitated in this hollow world you're you're going to die of fright basically even if you're a living human being so there's real threat to harry and balana and the episode is uh, this is one of the better ones i really like this episode a lot mm-hmm. um but um this ultimate solution is it, and it takes a few seconds when you come on the system for the system for the clown to recognize you as he can recognize you're on the system, but he can't access your thoughts and memories yet. And so Janeway offers herself in exchange for Kim and Torres. And so the clown, so Janeway comes on the system on the holographic system. The clown lets, lets Kim and Torres out. And then he's got a moment, a few moments to chat with Janeway before he can read her thoughts and use her memories to entertain himself for the next thousand years. And as they're talking, um, you know, he can sense her presence on the system. But what he doesn't know is this isn't really Janeway. This is hollow Janeway. Mm-hmm. And so the real Janeway never connected to the system, or at least her memories are not part of it. She's not mentally part of this loop. And so hollow Janeway explains to the clown as he realizes the truth that he got cheated 
and he's alone now forever. And we mm. we close on this somber, sort of dark, but just ending of the fear clown being left alone by himself in the darkness. Right. And him, and him being afraid for once. Right. Yeah. His, so it's a really, really powerful thaw. episode. Yeah. What's, yep. it, what's it called? The Thaw. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we also have uh, Dr. Chaotica from The Bride of Chaotica. Oh, that's just so... Okay, so this is a missed opportunity. I'm a big fan of old-time movie serials like uh, Flash Gordon, which is what the Captain Proton stuff is based on. Yep. And Dr. Chaotica is basically Ming the Merciless. Right. And that's, and that's fine. But he's got the wrong name. Chaotica ends in an A. It's got a feminine ending by the rules of 1930s Hollywood movie serials. Chaotica should be a woman. Right. Or call him Chaoticus. <laughs> or Chaotico be... or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he was in several episodes. Night, mm-hmm. Bride of Chaotica, uh, Shattered. Um, but the main one, I think, was Bride of Chaotica. And I like the convention they introduced of the holodeck can make things black and white. Yeah. So so if you go into a holodeck that's set in 1930s movie mode, you, your your normal skin tones are going to be rendered in black and white. Right, right. And then you have like two villains and then they combine it with Michael Sullivan, the, oh, <laughs> the from the, the Fairhaven simulations. Yes, the the bartender from Fairhaven, Ireland. Um, who, who falls in love with Janeway. And so they have him throughout this episode kind of like being a villain, but falling in love, you know, mm-hmm. sort of thing, being the, the, uh, that character of the, the bartender who wants to fall in love with you sort of thing from Ireland. It, it was, that was uh, interesting and amusing. Those, oh, and the fact that the, when the holodeck activates, um, safety protocol set to random. <laughs> it's just random. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> also, they they you know one of the first things because it was a big plot point on um, Voyager that the doctor initially was just confined to sick bay, and the only mm-hmm. way he got out was by having a personalized mobile emitter. And so Mariner, as soon as these characters materialize, Mariner is instantly like, "How is this possible? Why aren't they confined to the holodeck?" And the caretaker, who's a guy named Beljo Tweakle, um, he he says, well, you know, reasonable improvements in the name of historical interest are an acceptable compromise with historical accuracy because he's installed hollow emitters all over the ship now. Right. And and Mariner immediately calls him out on that, which, which is just the writer's way of hanging a lantern on the fact that they want the, the holodeck <laughs> villains to be able to roam the ship. Right. You know, what I was surprised was we never got the doctor. Now, that would, that would have meant getting mm-hmm. Robert Picardo and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And maybe he just wasn't available. But, man, that w- would have been interesting to have the doctor's program activated and have him be part of the solution, or at least the antics that, of what's, mm-hmm. of the craziness. That would have been fun. It would have. It would have strained their, their budget, perhaps. Um, in this episode, it looked to me like the voices of the three hollow characters were not the original actors who portrayed them. No. Um, and that's a cost-cutting measure, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that would have been that, that would have been fun, but yeah, I, I can see why they didn't do it. Uh, so, back on the Cerritos, you, you have Teillips now finding out that, uh, you know, the, that what Janeway's solution was. And so his 
idea is to create allies mm-hmm. and ends up com- the first one he does is combines Dr. Migli- Migliemo, who is the bird counselor. Yeah. With Captain Freeman. Captain Dr. Freegleman. <laughs> and it's interesting that as soon as he creates the combination, they're automatically on his side. It's this mm-hmm. new person. And it's kind of this. I mean, this was hey, always if, a you're, if, if you suddenly come into existence and you're a new person, do you want to be torn apart? <laughs> right. Well, it's always it was kind of the problem with the original episode was is this idea that you would have this completely new personality, new whole person that's a combination of the memories of and personalities of and that one the original Tuvix really I I am willing to go far in suspension disbelief but that one really pushed the boundaries for me because it Mm. just seems so materialist okay in the sense of the it's the combination of the bodies that creates the person and that who we are doesn't really extend beyond the physical. Well, I don't know that that's I don't know that that's the case, even in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, Now, if I were if, if someone said, OK, here's what just happened in real life. What's your analysis of it? I would say, OK, well, we have we we have at least some reason to think that memories are stored in our brains. So you merge two people's brains, assuming they come out and they're not crazy or mentally fried, which is itself an enormous leap. Um, I could say, okay, I can see how the how their memories got combined to form a new personality. If you're talking about souls, though, my inclination would be to say one body, one soul. You got a new body. Therefore, you have a new soul that was created at the time the new body was created. And the souls of Tuvox and Neelix left because they're dead. And so when you separate them again, their their souls would somehow need to come back. Yeah. I remember a philosophy professor, like I was in a philosophy class and the question was like when someone, you know, someone dies on the table and comes back. You know, mm-hmm. what's that? And said, well, you weren't dead. Like his solution was, well, you, then if you if you come no, back, you, you were dead. Yeah. Your, your soul just left and came back. Right. Yeah. And then there's the problem of where's all the extra mask on. But that's a whole nother. We, we can talk yeah. about that when we talk about the Voyager 2Vix episode. We'll get into all of the, the details there. We haven't so, talked about that one yet. I thought we had. Did we? T- oh, that was that a first season? I don't recall. Okay. Yeah, I think it's pretty early because Neelix is still mooning over Cass. Right, right. That's true. I, 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 um, I must have forgotten our discussion. It's probably a while ago now. But uh, well, in any case, we probably talked about it then. If we, if we did, <laughs> so uh, Boimler is going through this crisis of he doesn't think he deserves the promotion. Um, and he reveals to Mariner the reason he doesn't he doesn't think he deserves it is. He didn't believe her last season when she got sent off to Starbase 90. And then when their friendship suffered, when he went off to the Titan and was kind of a jerk about it uh, and, you know, and failed at the Titan and came back. And so we kind of, I think he kind of thinks of himself as, well, I'm the screw up who's never going to go anywhere. And Mariner kind mm-hmm. of bucks him up and says, no, really, look at all the good things you've done. You know, that, that sort of idea. Mm hmm. So, I just looked it up in Tuvix's end of season two on Voyager. Okay. So okay. maybe we maybe we haven't talked about it or maybe we did skipping around or something. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't think we 
in any case, because we do skip back and forth, but I thought we skipped further uh, into the future. Yeah. Um, in any case. Uh, so we get this scene uh, where the, the Borg regeneration uh, chambers get <laughs> knocked over on top of the, uh, the curator and uh, the macrovirus, you know, merges with a, Borg nanite that that a stray Borg nanite. I mean, some of this is this caretaker's fault. Like he's he mm-hmm. didn't do a very good job of cleaning up the ship, and uh, and so they they ended up merging and creating the Borg, and then the these the various Borg aspects of it want to take the Voyager to the nearest Borg cube, and that's the you know the the crisis that they're having to to go, uh, deal with, um, and. Uh, so the solution there is to use the the, the cheese, the, the Neelix cheese. Um, so in the end, Boimler gets his promotion, as do Talin and Tendi, who came up with a solution to the uh, hybrids, the mm-hmm. mergers, where the ethical considerations all went out the window. And Mariner, who also apparently, you know, did enough to to qualify, become a lieutenant. And they get this question, are we still lower decks? And that's the question that they deal with and settle on, as you mentioned, settle on. Yes, we're still, we're still pretty low. It's just ensigns below us, but we're still down on the bottom. Um, and then we, we do get this after scene, which is interesting. It seems to be setting up a, the a season, season arc. arc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where we have this mysterious ship show up, which at first I thought looked like the travelers ship, which was more organic. So it, it, it clearly it isn't because, um, as as I saw it, it, it wasn't. But I, that was like my initial impression. And uh, we see these Klingon lower deckers that we had seen before. And then we'll uh, next episode we'll talk about that. We see the Romulan lower deckers that we'd seen before. And so they their ship gets quickly destroyed by the uh, by this thing. It takes out the Klingon ship pretty readily, even though uh, they're cloaked. Right, and they are unable to to shoot at it. So, um. Right. So it disables their weapons and then blows them out of space. And it all happens very quickly. We get a little bit of comedy with the Klingon lower deckers before they all die. And, right. And so this is setting up our season arc. And I'm guessing that the ship, the super powerful ship, is going to be run either by Badgie or by Peanut Hamper or <laughs> one of our similar robotic, you know, foes. Coming back to extra, exact vengeance of some sort. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's kind of a dark way to end this funny episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it the uh, lower decks does not have a problem with you know going dark for some of the stuff. Uh, so, semi dark. It's not super dark, but sort of black comedy in in that sense. So, uh, and that that's the end of the that episode. Uh, any other uh, thoughts? Anything we didn't cover? Jim? No, there. Um, there are a few little things. Like I liked a line that Mariner has when she's gotten covered in goo from one of the macroviruses, and it's it's used the goo to pin her to a wall, and um, and uh, Boimler comes running up to her, and she says, "This is why we can't keep secrets. One of us always ends up covered in slime." <laughs> true. That's happened more than once. <laughs> That's true. All right. So that ends the, that episode. Now I mentioned we have some listener feedback, so let's get right to that. From yeah. our discussion in Stranger Worlds of uh, Under the Cloak of War, uh, Continuum Meditations on YouTube writes, 
I, too, count this as one of Strange New World's better episodes and appreciated your inclusion of the philosophical and historical implications of the show. As for Vrenak's death in DS9's In the Pale Moonlight, I recall that Sisko's actions were sanctioned by his superiors to do whatever it took to draw the Romulans into the Dominion War. Therefore, I always considered what he and Garrick did as ultimately being covered up by his allies at Starfleet Command. And that's why he faced no consequences. Could something similar have happened with Mbenga not facing any consequences in this matter? Well, so I'd have to go back and review what Cisco said about approval from his superiors. Um, and even then, there could be room for interpretation of do whatever it takes could mean do whatever it takes legally, mm. as opposed to murder a Romulan senator. Um, so I don't know how much Cisco's superiors knew about what he did. Um, and they may not have known or even approved of or approved of. Um, his the actions he did take. And he himself actually at first didn't know that Vrenak had been killed uh, as a result of all this. I mean, he, he goes and confronts Garrick when he realizes what's happened. And Garrick says, yeah, I arranged this so you would have plausible deniability so that you wouldn't because you, you needed to do this, but you're a puny human. You didn't have the guts for it. So mm. I did it for you uh, because you wouldn't have been able to do it consciously, but subconsciously you knew it needed to be done. And that's why you sought out me to do it on your behalf. And, um, and so I don't know how much Cisco's superiors actually knew, but whether they had advanced knowledge or not of, of, of all this, um, they most definitely would have covered it up. Because right. if it had come out that the Romulans had come in because one of their senators was killed in this way, that would have either caused them to withdraw from the war or flip and start fighting the Federation. And so there absolutely would have been a cover up of that. Um, when it comes to Dr. Menga's situation, I'd have to I'd also have to go back and review the episode because I don't remember. I've only seen it the one time, so I don't remember the details well enough. But he was not in Captain um, Cisco's position. Cisco was a major commander in the Dominion War, but Mbenga was a field medic and he wasn't even the chief field medic of um, of of the base where he of the 4077, you know, the mash unit that he was stationed at. So I don't I think he was he was farther down in the chain of command. And I don't know what his superiors would have been aware of or authorized in his behalf. Yeah, as I, in my as I recall, like he was asked by the special ops guy, guy, the Andorian to join them. But he said no. And then that guy got killed. So there was like a I think I don't think anybody knew Mbenga had done this. I think. This was a, uh, you know, off the records, off thing. the record. It, yeah. Only he knew that it had happened. I don't think this was a case of uh, turning a blind eye so much as he just went out on his own, did it and never told anybody uh, until now. So, yeah. Uh, our next feedback is on the subspace Rhapsody episode in Emma 2020 via email writes, love your podcast. I listen on Spotify. Just a thought. The Uhura saving the day line might be a nod to 42nd Street, the musical, and the trope of the unknown dancer slash singer becomes a big star by saving the show. 
Uhura is a major character, but Pike telling her that she needs to save the ship for everyone really made sense if you think of her getting her big break. Well, they certainly could have played it that way if they chose to. Um, that's not what I got out of it, because they don't portray this as I'm this little nobody who's suddenly getting a big break. Instead, the way Pike sets it up in dialogue and um, in the song is you're the voice of the ship. You're the central person that brings us all together. You're the most important one. It has to be you that saves the ship, which is nonsense. The captain's the one that, that is the heart of the ship, not the communications officer. And um, and so I, they didn't play it as unknown nobody finally getting her break. They played it as you're really the most important of us all. And that's not true. I mean, in a sense, she's the voice of the ship because she's the one that communicates outside the ship to other bases, other ships, and communicates to people. She's the switchboard operator. You know, yeah, the way they've set it, it up. It, it, she's a switchboard operator. And, and it, as has been pointed out, switchboard operators are redundant. We <laughs> right. don't even have them now. I mean, when was the last time you talked to a switchboard operator? Um, and you certainly won't need them in the 23rd century, but, um, but yeah, if you just think about it in terms of who's the most important person in a business, it is not the switchboard operator. Right. Right. Uh, You know, on the TV show, the office, it was not, uh, you know, know, who is the most important person there? Well, whoever it was, it wasn't, um, oh man, no, that person, Jim and, Mm-hmm. Oh, never mind. I shouldn't have brought up the analogy if I couldn't remember the name. <laughs> but in any case, uh, the, the idea that the communications officer on the bridge of a starship has to route calls. I mean, I know that they said at the beginning it was because something was down and she had to fix or the the computer was busy, which is kind of dumb regardless. But even even given that. OK, so momentarily you're routing calls. But that's not a that's not a big, important, permanent function that defines your identity with respect to the ship. Um, However, I agree uh, that that the unpromising unknown who makes it big and gets a big break, that is a Broadway trope. And they could have they could have done that. I just didn't see them doing it in this episode. Right. Uh, Our next feedback. And and, and I would say that would have been an interesting way to play it better than what they actually did play. Uh, so our next feedback comes from Luis via email, who says, I enjoy a good musical, but Star Trek just isn't the place for it, in my opinion. I love the funny episodes, but when I realized what was happening, I had to fast forward through every musical bit. Just know my wife, not a Trekkie at all, laughed at my refusal to watch and has threatened to confiscate my Trekkie card as a result. I'm sorry, but that episode may be long for the story days of Move Along Home and the entire first season of TNG. Ooh, well, <laughs> okay, you're you're going to get some of your wish because we've got Move Along Home coming up on Lower Decks. <laughs> so uh, that said, I did laugh so hysterically during the Klingon dance bit, which I stopped at only because I saw Klingons dancing and just had to, that my wife had to back it up in order to re- actually hear the music over my laughter. That was simply classic. To each his own, but this episode will most likely never cross my screen again. It was just painful. God bless. Yeah, well, you know, different people have different tolerances and preferences. I was able to take this as basically a comedy, sort of a comedy episode um, and and go with it. But you know what they say, de gustibus non est disputandum. (laughs) Right. 
Don't let the no. That wasn't the don't wear you down. That's <laughs> there. There is to be no disputing about tastes. That's right. That's right. So yeah, and I, I mean, I love musicals, and I, I like my sci-fi a little harder than that. You know, in general, I like it to have it, but I was able to go with this one because it was so fun, regardless. Yeah. So, uh, but like I said, you know, there's enough. There are nine other episodes this season to enjoy if you didn't like this one. So that that's fine. Uh, and then our last feedback comes from Joseph Prioli via YouTube, who writes, Jimmy, finally, after 25 years of listening to you, I found an area of disagreement. Hmm. I really like Laon's hairstyle, and I do find it quite attractive, at least on her. I don't know how well it would translate to other face shapes, etc. OK, well, I'm glad you finally found something. And um, <laughs> as I said before, de gustibus non est disputandum. That's right. I really don't like those severe hair horns. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for your feedback. We really do appreciate getting it. And before we go, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Nancy A., James C., Dino S., Renee N and Mark T. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is brought to you in part by Sam Castry Law, LLC, focusing on business and entertainment law in the greater Chicagoland area and intellectual property law across the U.S., Learn more by visiting castrelaw.com, C-A-S-T-R-E-E-Law.com. Licensed to practice in Illinois and before the United States Trademark Office. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you thought of Two Vix. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. You can also leave a comment. And we'll be back next time, which will be very soon, because we're going to be discussing the next episode of, Strange, of Lower Decks, sorry, of Strange Worlds, Lower Decks, which aired the, at the or released at the same time as Tuvix. It's called I Have No Bones, Yet I Must Flee. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, are you kidding me? Shaka when the walls fell, Ensign. Ensign.